Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle.
or you may have, or you may have heard mass, which is a Roman Catholic, which means missio, Latin for being sent forth. We, we come and we feast, and then we go back out into the world. And we, and we use the term the Lord's Supper. It's his table, it's not ours. It's God's table, and he invites us, so it's the Lord's Supper, and we remember that. And throughout most of the church's history, actually until about the 16th century with the Protestant Reformation, Communion was really the center of the worship service. It was only after the Reformation that preaching came to be more um, central to the worship, the gathering worship experience. And it's important to remember that. And it's also important to remember that communion isn't tied to building. Think of it in church, we experience it in worship. But it's not tied to a denomination, it's not tied to a particular culture. People all over the globe experience communion. They use different elements, they practice it and experience it in different ways. But it's just the same meal, the same Lord's Supper that we share together. So we need to resist getting caught up and we need to do it this way or that. We certainly recognize during COVID when we were all worshiping remotely at times, that, and those of you worshiping remotely today, worshiping online, you gather your bread and juice or crackers and water, whatever those things are. And we still partake in communion. House of Prayer had met with communion every Monday for many, many years. We've gone and had communion in people's homes, in hospital rooms, in so many places. So I want to keep a wide picture of communion. It doesn't just happen on the first Sunday month at Barfield Memorial Church. It's a lot bigger than that. And, and, you know, salvation comes by grace, salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not something we do, it's something God does for us. And so we call that grace, it's something we don't deserve, but God gives it to us anyway. But John Wesley, the one who essentially founded the Methodist movement of which we are a part of Garfield Memorial, um, never wanted to start the denomination. He was an Anglican priest, uh, evangelist, but he talked about even though God's grace comes from God alone, we don't deserve it, we don't earn it, we're not saved by works. At the very same time, there are things, there are practices that we can do, things that Jesus himself did and modeled for us and invited us to practice. But John Wesley called means of grace. Things like, things like prayer, things like, things like what he called Christian conferencing, which we might say more say small groups or home groups, being with others, being with others beyond the Sunday or whenever, or whenever you gather and worship. And, and fasting, fasting and other things. And, other things. and communion is one of those. You might also hear the term spiritual discipline. Again, this is not a formula. This is a, I do X and I get Y. These are practices that kind of get us in striking distance of the Holy Spirit. There are things that God works through, many of them seemingly very ordinary. And so when Jesus shared in the Last Supper foretelling his suffering and his death, he didn't give him a theory. He didn't give him a theological treatise. He gave him a meal to practice. To eat, to eat with one another, to share with one another, to drink with one another. He gave us a meal. And so today we're turning to the Apostle Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 11. We didn't read all the verses that speak of communion, but if you look at the broader passage, you would see a Greek word, synerkomai. And it appears five times, 
and it's translated differently in English in different spots in the passage, but what it means is to come together, to assemble, to be gathered, to be at one. And so I think what this tells us is that communion connects things that otherwise would be fragmented. Paul shows us this in his writings about communion. And so we're going to look at just four simple things today about how communion connects us to the past, communion connects us to the future, communion connects us to community, and community connects us to Jesus Christ himself. But before we talk about uh, the first two especially, we're talking about the past and the future, I want to share a little bit about time. And there are two Greek words that can help us get a better understanding of time. They're chronos time and kairos time. Chronos time is the time of, where is my watch? Watches, the time we look on our phones, it's measured in minutes and seconds. We think of it as finite very often. We say we're running out of time. I don't have time for that stuff. We think of it in, in a very measured way. But Cairo's time is different than that. It's kingdom of God time. Psalm 90 verse 4 says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, or a watch until the dawn. There's a man who was talking to God and said, God, is it true? that a thousand years are like a minute to you. I said, yes, that's true. Then the man said, and is it true that a million dollars is like a penny to you? And God said, yes, that's true. The man said, well, I'm a person of a few resources. Would you give me a penny? God said, sure, in a minute. kingdom of God time. It's the time zone that the angels in heaven share. It's time that goes beyond the dimensions of the, the, the concrete things that we usually think about. And it is something that helps us to be present in ways. So first, communion connects us to the past. And in, when we come to this meal, Paul is saying that Jesus was gathered we know that Jesus was gathered for a Passover meal. And that was time of remembrance. At the Passover meal, there were different foods and different words that would be said that would help people as they celebrated the exodus from slavery from Egypt to experience that by going through these words and these questions and the things that they did. At the time of a day of remembrance, Exodus says, set aside for that. And the same way, communion is a time of remembrance. Paul says twice, do this in remembrance of me. But I want to say, the biblical idea of remembering is different than what we talk about. We tend to think about recalling something. I remember, you know, when I rode the bus downtown. But remembering the Bible is different than that. It involves action. When the dying thief on the cross said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. He isn't saying, like, think of me when you get up there. He's saying, remember me, save me. Bring me to you. It involves action, it's experiencing it. So when you take the bread and the cup, as we'll do in a few moments together, 
It's as if we're going back, as if you are there. It enables us to connect with the past in a very tangible way. And remember it's important, as followers of Jesus, it helps us to know our identity. It's reading the work of a neuroscientist who works with a lot of amnesia, uh, patients, people with memory problems named Adam Zeman. And he talked about one of his patients that had amnesia. And this is what the man said. He said, my memory of my past is a blank space. I feel lost and hopeless. I'm trying to explore a void. He said that looking at photos is disconcerting because he recognizes himself, but he can't remember the events that are in the pictures. He says, I don't have the warrant that other people have to help them know who they are. Friends, as fragmented and scattered as we get in ourselves, with all the things that we go through, we need communion to help give mourning for us, to connect to our identity as Jesus followers. Communion connects us to the past, but communion also connects us to the future. Paul says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion points us forward to the final consummation of the kingdom of God, what we call the messianic banquet. And I love, love, love these words from Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheep that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from their eyes. All of this anticipates the coming of the kingdom. When we will see Jesus Christ face to face, there will be no more tears. We'll be reunited with those who are no longer on earth with us. And it will be a celebration of people of every tongue, tribe, and nation. Everybody will be there. People from the past that died long ago. Everyone. And Christ looked forward to celebrating that time with his disciples. He said in Matthew 26, I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Communion connects us to the future and to get a foretaste of the future feast where we'll gather and it'll be even better than Isaiah says, even more impactful. There's a woman named Nanny Helen Burroughs who invited Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to speak at a Baptist women's convention. The theme was the vision of the world made new. And one of the things that Dr. King said that really struck me, he said, Today, we stand between two worlds. A world that is gradually passing away, and a world that is being born. We stand between the dying old and the emerging new. And Burroughs later wrote King, thanking him, saying, what your message did to their thinking and to their faith is bread cast upon the water that will be seen day by day in good works in their communities. Because we're connected to the future, it changes how we see the present, because we know what's to come. We know that the kingdom is coming, that messianic banquet, 
then we work as when we pray the prayer called the Lord's Prayer, that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We see that message and we can work towards it. So community connects us to the past, it connects us to the future, and it connects us to community. Communion is a very personal experience. It's a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus Christ. But it's also something we do together. John Wesley, again, founder of the Methodist movement, said there is no thing as a solitary Christian. Can't do this alone. We need one another. One another is two words in English, but it's just one word in the Greek, the language that the biblical text in the New Testament are written in. It's used a hundred times in 94 verses. It's important. We're to forgive one another. We're to practice patience with one another. We're to share peace with one another. And then there's, come on now, people. Smile at your brother. Everybody get together and try to love one another right now. Um, oh, wait, that was Richie Havens at Woodstock. Flashback. Our culture is very fragmented. There's been research coming out lately that says that 60% of Americans say they're lonely. 60%. Now, it was, it was trending in that direction before COVID, but it's exponentially increased since then. People are longing for connection. They're feeling disconnected. And so we need this meal by which we see that we see and taste and hear and connect with one another in powerful ways. We say around here, this isn't Garfield Memorial's table. It's not United Methodist table. It's the Lord's table, and it's open to all. And because the table belongs to the Lord, it should be open to everyone who comes. In the church, we're often more concerned with who's already here. But we're called to go out and invite people. Jesus' invitation <clears throat> is broad and wide and deep. He says in Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift not anything we do, but God's gift. And so if we taste it, as the psalmist says, and seen that the Lord is good, we need to find those who don't even know they're invited to the table and invite them to go out into all the world. The communion also connects us to community. You know, that word unity is in there for a reason. I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes when people get together, that are particularly different, they don't get along. They fight. There's divisions. There's tribalism. We see that in our culture. We see that even in the church. So our natural bent seems to be to form cliques instead of communities. But that's not God's vision. The truth is, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians because the church in Corinth was a mess. They were fighting and fidgeting with each other. We should do it this way. We should do it that way. There are so many ways in which they were not living out the faith. And so Paul's, that's why Paul says, because there's one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. And I love this. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. And he says, because there's one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. 
Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. And I love that. You think when we have one loaf and it gets pulled into many, many pieces, you think, well, it's all fragments as it comes in us. But no, this one loaf that is broken, we become unified in him. That's what God calls us to do as his church. Breaking bread together breaks down barriers. Galatians 3.28 says, In Christ there is no, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And don't get me wrong. We're not saying that differences don't matter. Differences matter immensely. We're much better together with all our amazing uniquenesses. But at the same time, we are called to be one. And Jesus himself in John 17 prayed the only prayer that we could actually be the answer to when he says, love each other as the Father and I love one another so that people will know about God and the love of Jesus Christ. And so it's really hard to, if we're really living this out and really letting it go deep in our bones of community, racism, sexism, all the separations, all the othering of people, it just can't happen. It doesn't belong. Communion has the power to break down our divisions, to unify us from being fragmented into being one. It's not easy. As a part of a church named like Garfield, it's not easy to navigate so many different people, so many different cultures and traditions. But God says that communion helps us to do that. And so if we don't believe that we can really become one and show that unity to show the world, then we're saying we don't believe God. People need to know that God loves them. And finally, communion connects us to Christ. Luke 24 tells the story of what we call the walk to Emmaus. It took place on that first Easter afternoon. Disciples didn't know what was going on. They were very dispirited. Two of them were walking back to Emmaus. And as they're walking, this guy comes up, and he starts talking to them. He says, hey, what's going on? And they're like, you don't know, like you live under a rock? Don't you have internet? And they said, well, you know, they started telling about what happened to Jesus. And then Jesus continued to talk with them. And he explained the scriptures and how he was described by the scriptures. And they didn't recognize him. And he spent time just traveling with them. And they didn't recognize him. And then they got to Emmaus. And it looked like Jesus was getting ready to go on further. And they said, no, no, come and stay and have a meal with us and stay over here. And so Jesus did. And so we came and they were having a meal together and Jesus assumed the role of host, taking the bread and breaking it. And it was then, when Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And the, the scripture says in Luke 24, it says that Cleopas and the other disciple, after Jesus said that, and I recognized that it was Jesus, they said, were not our hearts burning when he was talking to us? Really? If they were burning, maybe you would have recognized him sooner, but we're human. And then they, they knew and they could look back at what he had said to them and what 
their experience had been, and they knew it was him. There's something that happens when we come to the table and Jesus hands us the bread, and he says, this is my body. And he hands us the cup, and he said, this is my blood shed for you with great love. It's a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. John Wesley said that a communion, it's not about what we do. We're not doing anything for God. But we're coming, and God will give us what we need. We just need to come. We just need to come. Over the centuries, there's been lots of conversation and lots of fighting about different ways we talk about the experience of Jesus' presence in communion, in the sacrament. And there's constant... I, can't, I went to seminary. I should be able to say these words. Constant substantiation substantiation the real presence I'm not making light of it we need to use our brains and our faith and it's important to talk about the theology and the meaning of it but the truth is it really doesn't matter what the exact understanding of Jesus' presence how that comes to be that's not the ultimate thing the ultimate thing is that Jesus is present Jesus is here There's a woman named Sarah Miles who wrote a memoir, Take This Bread. She was brought up as an atheist. She was a journalist and uh, actually went in many war-torn areas of the world. She lived in San Francisco. Not religious, didn't like Christians, didn't like anybody, talked about God, very secular. But she found herself, she said, at the age of 46 on a cloudy morning, walking along in San Francisco, and she saw this church, St. Gregory of Nyssa, and she found herself walking in, and she found herself taking communion for the very first time in her life. The first time. She said this, I still can't explain my first communion. It made no sense. I was in tears and physically unbalanced. I felt as if I had just stepped off a curve or been knocked over noiselessly. The disconnect between what I thought was happening I was eating a piece of bread, and then what I heard someone else say was happening, that the piece of bread was the body of Christ. Apparently untrue, or at best, to me, metaphorical statement, and what I knew was happening. God, named Christ or Jesus, was real and in my mouth. It utterly short-circuited my brain. Why did I feel like I was being entered and taken over? completely stirred up by someone whose name I'd only spoken before as a casual expletive. Eating Jesus as I did that day to my great astonishment led me against all my expectations to a faith that I'd scorned and work that I never imagined. The mysterious sacrament turned out not to be a symbolic wafer, but indeed actual food the very bread of life. In John, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them on the last day, for my flesh is true food, as Sarah discovered, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. 
Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that which our ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. Whether this is your first time taking communion, whether it's your hundredth time or more, Jesus invites you to this table so that you can be connected to the past, to be at that table, that first, last, the last supper, really the first supper. You can, can be connected to the future, to the kingdom that is to come, to the messianic banquet for all people. Connected to community as we come. And I have to tell you, communion at Garfield Memorial is one of my very, very, very favorite times. Because as, as you see people coming up, and we're all different, but we're all coming. And I love when kids come in sometimes and they'll, they'll take like this mammoth piece of bread without shame and dunk it and splash it. Hallelujah. Go for it. We should come to the Lord's table with gusto. We should come to the Lord's table with expectation. We should come to the Lord's table with a hunger and a thirst because we know it's only going to be fulfilled by this meal. It might just seem like a bite, but it can fill you more than anything else. At our earlier service at Heritage, we sing a lot of the traditional hymns, and we sang these words from Charles Wesley. Come, sinners, to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus' guest. You need not one be left behind, for God hath bid all humankind. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we prepare to come to this incredible feast, this table, prepare our hearts, prepare our spirits, and help us to come expectantly, expecting even to meet you here and now in whatever way you present yourself. It may be dramatic like for Sarah. It may be just a quiet whisper. We may feel nothing at all, but that doesn't decrease the experience that you are with us in this feast. And so we come in Jesus' name. Amen. And ask Pastor Scott to come and lead us as we close in communion.